You're in the water loop. This is Waterloop episode number 123, Flipping Front Yards in NOLA. Over time, many property owners in New Orleans have replaced green spaces in favor of concrete and other impervious surfaces in order to gain more parking and reduce yard maintenance. The amount of hard surfaces contributed to serious flooding problems across the city. Now, a program incentivizes homeowners to replace the pavement with grass and other permeable materials to allow rain to soak into the ground and reduce stormwater runoff. The Front Yard Initiative is explained in this episode with Dana Ennis, Executive Director of the Urban Conservancy. Dana discusses how the process empowers residents to design their front yard, the growing understanding of green solutions in New Orleans, and the success of the program, which captures 2 million gallons of water per year. Before starting the conversation, I want to mention that Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet that depends on your interest and in our funders and sponsors. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from the Walton Family Foundation and Springpoint Partners. Waterloop is also supported through sponsorships by Hydroloop and High Sierra Showerheads. I'm going to talk briefly about these companies that are advancing water sustainability and then start the podcast. Thank you for listening. Waterloop. The Waterloop podcast is sponsored by Hydroloop. Our water supplies are stressed like never before, and it's time for innovative solutions, including in our own homes. Water recycling is the most efficient and affordable way to use less water. And the easiest way to recycle water is to clean it right where it's used. Think about all the water used in a home just once, in showers and laundry machines. It's called gray water. What if that water could be captured, cleaned, and used again? That's how nature does it. Now Hydroloop can recycle 85% of in-home water use. Hydroloop is a breakthrough technology for water recycling. It produces water that is clean, clear, safe, and disinfected. Then that water can be used again in the home for toilet flushing, washing machines, garden irrigation, and more. With Hydroloop, you can use water twice. Learn more at Hydroloop.com. Waterloop. Plastic pollution is a huge problem in our environment and in our water. Unfortunately, it's everywhere, and we've got to do what we can to reduce the plastic that's in our society. This stuff takes hundreds of years to break down, and it's made with fossil fuels, which just drives climate change. That's why I'm a big fan of the solid metal construction of High Sierra showerheads. There's no plastic involved. They're made with solid plated brass, stainless steel, and heavy-duty aluminum. Even the seals and hoses are made from silicone rubber. So again, no plastic in High Sierra showerheads. That's unlike the competitors out there in the market, which have a lot of plastic involved. Often the metal you see is just a thin layer covering plastic. Another advantage of this solid metal construction is durability. High Sierra showerheads are simply going to last a long time. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerheads.com.
You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Going to be talking about stormwater and flooding and how that can be dealt with uh, through some changes to private property in New Orleans. Very happy to be joined by Dana Ennis. She is Executive Director of the Urban Conservancy. Dana, thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. So... I, I really am glad that we got to uh, to meet in person and and walk around and uh, see some of this these issues in New Orleans. Um, it was a great experience, and I'll be able to share some of those photos and videos as part of this podcast. But let's I guess start with defining the problem a little bit uh, for people that aren't familiar with the situation in New Orleans or even how kind of stormwater works necessarily. What's what's the situation there with uh, flooding and residential property? And what's kind of what's kind of going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's where, where we were, we built here for a reason. The city's been here for, for 300 years for a reason, but that reason has its problems. We are, you know, New Orleans is an urban core on a deltaic plain, which means there's no real rock substrata. So we're just a sandy, sandy, spongy place, and we get 64 plus now inches of rain, raining in a different way than it has in the past, more intense uh, uh, downpours, and that water has to go somewhere. Um, and so we are battling on, on a couple of different fronts as a coastal city. We're getting a lot of water coming down. We're dealing with the erosion of the coast. We're dealing with rising sea levels. And because of that spongy subsurface with no rock substrata, we're also dealing with the potential of substrata if we don't manage that water properly. So then we're also combating uh, the sinking of the city if we're not recharging our water tables down below. Our groundwater is something that isn't, we don't spend enough time thinking about as a country, I think. Um, mm. But certainly in New Orleans, that's part of part of the formula as well. Yeah. And then the other factor, in addition to that, obviously, is the development, right? The roads, yeah. the sidewalks, the driveways. Um, maybe you could talk about the the style there where, you know, you've got the road, you've got the sidewalk. But a lot of times, you know, in the front yard, there's there was a lot of pavement, a lot of asphalt or concrete. What yeah, the the way things were built. Yeah. Could you kind of explain that a little? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to this, the, the, um, the city wasn't built for cars, you know, it's 300 years old. It was built for, for a different sort of, um, transportation. So, but over time, what we, we've become so auto dependent. And so these houses that were maybe single family homes that, um, when cars did come in, there may have been a car associated with it. Because the lots are long and narrow, parking is at a premium. Unlike many uh, cities, there isn't off-street parking isn't a guarantee. Um, you know, in these tight urban settings, the the lots are much smaller. So, so people find parking or create parking where they can. And now, as single-family homes have been subdivided and may become uh, multiple-family homes, you have multiple cars as well. So, what you see happening is paving going on front yards so that people can create a parking off street parking space for their cars in front yards, as well as paving all the way up the sides. Um, I also, the backyards that we have such a long growing season, we have 10, 10 months of growing season. The only downtime is July when it gets so hot that 
stop things sort of come grind to a halt but but honestly the growing season is year round and so what we also see is backyards entirely paved and i think part of that is also a maintenance issue i joke that there was somebody's brother-in-law in the concrete business in the 50s and 60s made a killing <laughs> convincing everybody they should just pave their backyards because a lot of people are dealing with that as well mm. and so you kind of have all these conditions colliding um, you know, I spoke with uh, Megan Williams with the Department of Public Works for New Orleans about how they are rethinking uh, public spaces and looking to go green and put in vegetation and green spaces and green infrastructure and all these type of things to, to allow water to soak in, to have places to retain water. So that's kind of the public side. Uh, but then you have these, these private property issues, especially residences. So when was there this spark to try to do something about that, um, you know, to try to turn that concrete into green? It, and it all is like the umbrella under which all of this falls is that it's regardless of whether it's commercial or uh, uh, public or private, it's, it's about creating space for that water to go. But about six years ago, when this is, this is how we came into it. When, when, uh, constituents were complaining to us about neighbors over paving and recognizing both the aesthetic um, downside to that, the yeah. curb appeal that went away when people paved their entire front yards, but also the the um, the flooding, the increased flooding that that resu resulted. Um, that they were coming to us and saying, "Please help us do something about this." And so we completely went into this saying, "How do we get these people to stop paving?" <laughs> illegally excessively their front yards and creating these problems for their neighbors we pulled people together from neighborhoods and started having this conversation and within and we brought people in from the city to explain it from from the city perspective you know megan's counterpart and that sort of thing to say why it was a problem but then we quickly found so many people in that audience said well i live in a house that has more paving than it should than i want i just don't know the first thing to do to get rid of it and that was kind of a, a light bulb moment for us as a small organization saying, okay, there are people who are willing and able to help us undo this. Um, and they're willing to put in the time and the effort and, and the money, but they don't know where to begin. And that's how we developed the Front Yard Initiative, which incentivizes homeowners to remove excessive paving. Um, we, in our journey, if you will, to, to, to this point now, six years later, we didn't start that blindly at that moment. We were building on what was already developing throughout New Orleans in terms of a heightened awareness of our, our water, our relationship with water, and our need to change that as a result of really Katrina and um, our rethinking and looking to the Dutch model of living with water and creating new, better ways that didn't rely so heavily on gray infrastructure to manage our water. Mm. And the, so the front yard initiative, um, and I, again, I'm glad that I got to go around with you and see some of this, uh, some great examples in person. Um, could you explain how that works? Like if I'm a, if I was a particular homeowner, what's, what's the process? What we ask people to do that, that, that are interested in, in, uh, um, engaging in our program is going to our website, clicking the take action, 
and then enrolling. What our process is, it it's really about empowering the homeowner to do the to really be involved in the process and do the work of um, informing themselves. So you you take action, you sign up, you're invited to a workshop, a one hour workshop, and this is posted on our website as well. Anybody can take a look and 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 through that. It's one hour and it's really telling the homeowner, this is how this program works. These are the principles. These are some of the beautiful inspirational examples of what people have done. And then once people have completed that workshop, we uh, invite them to submit a design based on what we told them about how, what we're looking for in terms of a before and after so that they're beginning to think about how do I want to use this space? What you know, everybody uh, uses their yard in different ways. And so that they're not just going to a contractor and saying, I need to get rid of this paving, you know, give me a bid. So they're taking their design ideas to bid. And then that way, multiple contractors are looking at the same thing and bidding on the same thing. So that's our process. So then they, they, they submit their designs to us. We have a vetting process. Funding is limited, unfortunately. So we we select um, the number of houses that we have the funding for. On average, we're able to assist financially about 25 homeowners per year. And then they can take that. Um, once they've gotten the pr- approval from us, they go to a contractor. And we have a contractor uh, green sector directory list that they can that we refer to. And then they um, go ahead and... Um, get a bid and um, send it back to us. We approve it, they get started. And then we do an after-site visit as well to ensure that what they did um, matches up to what they said they would do. And then we cut them a, a check, which typically uh, it caps out at $1,250. It's based on the per square foot of paving removed. And that typically represents about a 20% discount of the overall cost of the project. Um, projects range between five and 6,000 on average. There's a range, but that's kind of what we see homeowners investing. Yeah. I love that, that fact that you put the designing on them. It really uh, involves them in it. You kind of are testing how motivated is this person to really do this? Are they really committed to the process? And it also makes sure that what happens to their property is something they're going to enjoy, right? It's going to be set up a way that that works for them. Um, And that that, that will kind of, they'll be able to and they'll want to maintain. So it's kind of like this built-in maintenance element to it. It's theirs. They own it from the get-go before it's even in the ground, you know? So we, we have also, I would say, on that, our resources page, click on the homeowner toolkit. It's a really cool um, thing that helps people think through how much money do I want to spend? How do I want to use this space? Uh, you know, what are my options? Um, how, much, how much work do I want to put into to the, to the project myself rather than hiring a contractor? And that helps people think through that process as well. Awesome. So you said about 25 homes a year, but, but how much impact have you had overall through this initiative? We keep a running tally as we do this. We, we, we collect a lot of data on these projects. So to date, um, roughly, we've, we've financially assisted about uh, 115 homes. There are a couple still in the pipeline always. So that number is perpetually going up. But 115 homes, over 67,000 square feet of paving have been removed. 
that's a 647, almost $650,000 um, investment that that represents going to green sector goods and service providers. And that's a per rain event, 108,000 plus gallons of water being kept out of our aging uh pumping and, and drainage system. So that's water, that's over 2 million gallons per year that is kept out of our pumping system. And when you put all those numbers, if you run those numbers through a couple of different ringers, you'll see that people are removing more paving than what we're, we're, uh, what we're reimbursing them for on average by quite a bit. Um, and that we're also, you know, this is like trying to figure out like, how do we know? What are the numbers we're aiming for? Um, is it a per dollar per a dollar per gallon uh, stored um, number that will tell us like yes this is affordable this is attainable this is sustainable and this is replicable? I don't know I don't know what that number is but our number is six dollars per gallon so um, maybe at some point we can all you know collectively as a city <laughs> say yeah that's a good number let's aim for that um, but those are the sorts of those are the sorts of metrics that we're looking at. 2 million gallons though a year. That's amazing. That's, that's phenomenal and fantastic. Uh, really cool stuff. So I, I mean, what's been the overall response of the people of New Orleans to kind of these twin efforts to get part per impervious surfaces out of private property, out of public property? I mean, is it, is it really catching on? Are people becoming more really enthusiastic and supportive of this because they're sick of the flooding? Um, you know, it, it does change these places. It, it does. But people, yes, I th the, the conversation has really uh, evolved and become more sophisticated. I think in the early days, there was a were a lot of questions about, but what about the mosquitoes? What about the mosquitoes? You know, because it, you're you're creating green space, and then this I, we, we've gone gone a long way past that in terms of having demonstration projects in the ground, um, and 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 these educational efforts are really helping people understand the difference between unhealthy standing pooling water and healthy water that drains within 72 hours before mosquitoes can breed, and that. We have enough examples of that. Importantly, also, as each one of these houses um, and homeowners, property owners, commercial properties as well, um, put these things in the ground and see how well they're functioning, not only at the moment that their that concrete goes away, but over time as the native plants establish themselves and the, the systems work even better over time. People are really excited because it, it's solving real problems immediately. And, and then beyond that, it's creating this community benefit as well um, and, um, and reducing the heat island effect and, you know, doing multiple things, creating uh, a habitat for us, uh, butterflies and birds and, and doing all sorts of good things. So people are really, our, our, you know, the results we're getting from the surveys we are giving to our homeowners are they're they're really enthusiastic and so now the question is in addition to these 25 or so homes a year that we can assist financially as well as hundreds of others that we can assist with technical uh, assistance through the, the the resources and and toolkits and everything that we've created but how do we scale this to really reach everyone regardless of whether or not they can afford 
to, to shoulder that 80% cost that, that, you know, a program such as ours will not cover. So how do we make sure that this is really available to all New Orleanians that need this sort of relief? Mm. No, that's a really great point because I know that now more than ever, equity is such an important part of the equation in the environmental and conservation sphere. And how do we make sure that programs, whatever they are, um, are not just ending up in the hands of people that can that have wealth, but more equitably be distributed? So, really key. Yeah, and and the, the like smart urban design is always sort of designing for the most vulnerable in your community, right? Does it work for the elderly? Does it work for the children, the sidewalks, the, 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 you know, the pedestrian crossings, everything about the city is the connectivity there that makes it a safe, healthy environment for the most vulnerable. And that is absolutely true where we, when we talk about stormwater management as well. So when we think about um, those families that for, you know, reasons of uh, historic uh, racism, frankly, um, that have redlined communities that have pushed um, families of color into the less desirable real estate markets, but also those that have the highest risk of repetitive loss from flood and other um, elements of climate change. Oftentimes we're looking at uh, multi-generational families there, or we're looking at elderly homeowners. And so how do we make sure that they are as protected as everyone else and recognizing that it's probably going to cost more to protect them because their properties are in more vulnerable places to flood risk as well. So just like owning that and saying, okay, this is something that, you know, how do we make this work for those families as well? Sure. Um, a little bit of a shift. I wanted to ask you about education, which is a key part of, uh, you know, bringing young people up to be informed adults and be part of this kind of transformation. Um, what what role does education play for you all um, in in getting in transforming New Orleans to a more sustainable city? And I know you also have a program that works to to kind of fuel that. Yeah, and that became, our program is called BASIN, Building Active Stewardship in New Orleans is the acronym. And the program began also uh, about five or six years ago, um, it, it right around the same time that the, the Front Yard Initiative, we, we got that up and rolling. And it was sort of this recognition that a lot of us, I mean, <laughs> most of New Orleanians were coming to understand our whole relationship with water as adults and so we started thinking about well how do we how do we get people talking about this how do we develop the shared vocabulary at an earlier age and we created it created a curriculum that was really water literacy focused or water civics focused um that is a uh depending on how much time we have in a, a in a setting a 30 to 60 hour curriculum that is covering a lot of these issues that we were just learning about as adults, you know, just uh, 10, 10 short years ago. And so letting, uh, helping them understand and see what permeable paving looks like, understanding what our catch basins do and why we can't let anything other than water go down them and have <laughs> to keep them clear, understanding why, um, what a bioswell is or what a rain garden is and 
why we have to create space for water to go. Um, and just helping, helping if we start them at seven or eight or nine, and then they're taking that home to their parents, then we're, we're reaching multiple people. So that's, that's the goal with base. And it's also just a, a whole lot of fun. Um, but that is, um, we definitely want to, you know, we see the multiple audiences we're trying to reach and that's the kids and that's their parents and that's their grandparents, but it's the contractors, it's the homeowners, it's the business. So, so how do we kind of segment that message to reach all New Orleanians were all affected by this. Yeah. Well, starting with the youngest generation is always a good way to do that, right? Because they Absolutely. they grow up eventually, and and they also influence influence those parents and relatives and and all that kind of thing. So, and they are our future land and water stewards. So we have to recognize that these are the guys; these are the men and women of the future that will be keeping us safe. Awesome. Well, Dana, um, I'm I'm thankful uh, to have this conversation with you again. Thanks so much. Uh, it was it was. Uh, fantastic to see this stuff in, you know, firsthand and in person. Um, really exciting what's happening there. So thank you uh, for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good seeing you again. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, the innovative water recycling system for homes and businesses. Use water twice with Hydroloop. Learn more at hydroloop.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates.